body, this church family, share. And before I get into what they'll be sharing on, because it'll be directly tied up to what this series has been about, I just want to briefly take a few minutes to review where we're at. We started this series called Purposeful a few weeks ago, and each week we've been challenged to take small steps, and there's a reason for that, a big kind of sort of backdrop philosophical reason, and it started here. And if you were here the past couple weeks, you can remember this, but important to review. Currently, in our culture, there are two distinct messages that are playing around the clock. And, and the interesting thing is that these two messages are sort of in direct conflict with one another. One message is an explicit message that's kind of everywhere in our culture. The second message is a more subtle, implicit message, but it's foundational. So picture a 10-story building, and on the 10th floor, there is this sort of explicit, continuous message on the 10th floor, but way down at the bottom of the building, which is the foundation in which every other floor is built upon, there's a more subtle, a little bit more implicit of a message, and they're at odds with one another. So the explicit message that's up at the top of the building is this. You are a wonderful individual. Your life has purpose, meaning, and design. Everything matters, so be true to yourself, be who you are, and shoot for the moon so that if you fail, you'll be among the stars because you have meaning, you have purpose, your life has a design. Now, you hear that like in every Disney movie, you hear it in like a quarter of the pop songs, um, and you hear it again and again and again everywhere. Explicit 10-story message. But there's a foundational message, again, that the whole building rests upon. And this foundational message is so central and so vital to the building's existence that that foundational message rings true not only in our conscious but in our, in our subconscious. It works almost like an operating system on our computer. And this foundational message that is played again and again and again but in more subtle, implicit ways is this. You are a product of random chance. You're a product of random chance. You are a combination, an amalgamation of neurons and chemicals and hormones that are working together to produce your biological body. The things that you think matter most, things like love, they're not real. That is a social constructed idea. Romance is a socially invented idea to get two people who would never normally live together and mate to come together to propagate the lie in the family, the tribe, the lineage. But make no mistake about it, it's just chemicals and hormones. No real thing transcendent like love. You have no soul, you have no spirit. There is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no supernatural, there's no spiritual realm. There is no transcendent. You are a product of random chance. Your feet wander aimlessly on a universe without any end goal or purpose. That message is the fundamental foundational message that is playing in all of modern Western civilization. So not just like in a few places, oh, it's the Bay Area. The message of modernity in the secular world is that there is no real aim or purpose and we are all here by chaos and random chance. Now, as long as you hold that foundational message to be true, everything like meaning and purpose and design, no matter what Disney movies you're watching, they disappear because at the foundational level, there's something that is more structurally, structurally there. So, what happens to our culture? You lose purpose and meaning, life becomes unbearable. Suffering becomes unbearable. We use the analogy of a woman in labor. Like, women go through labor and then they do it again sometimes. And then they do it again sometimes. And some of you women, they do it four, five, six, seven times. Why? Because despite labor being excruciating physical pain, you can endure it because there's an end goal, there's a purpose, there's meaning, there's something precious brought into the world. What happens when meaning and purpose are removed from a culture? When the transcendent is removed? You get a bunch of hopeless people. Now here's the paradox of it all. Simultaneously, these things are both true. We live in a place where the standard of living is the highest it's ever been in human history. We occupy a time and space where life and the standard of living is the best it's ever been. It's too hot, you have an air conditioner to cool it down. It's too cold, you have a heater to turn it up. 
You walk into a grocery store, you see more food in one instance than most people have seen throughout human history in their entire lifetime. The standard of living has gone up, but we know from statistical evidence, this is now like indisputable statistical fact, for the last two decades, Americans have become more discontent, unhappy, depressed, and suicidal. Life gets easier, we become more miserable. You remove meaning and purpose in the transcendent, even the smallest pain in your life becomes unbearable. You can't go through it. So this has been the challenge of this series. Affirming our belief in the existence of God, affirming the belief that you are made in his image, you have a spirit, you are a soul, your life does have meaning, your life does have purpose, you do have a design. But at the same time, challenging you not to be tempted into creating a romanticized version of yourself. And what I mean by that is there's a temptation for Christians at this point to go, my life does have meaning and, and, and have purpose and I'm gonna go change the world. I'm gonna change the world. And it's like, I'm always that guy who's just like super realistic. You're not gonna change the world. Very few people are gonna change the world. Very few people are called to change the world. But oftentimes we immediately have this kind of vision of ourself that's so awesome. Very American of us, you know? See, we're just, we're just crazy. But what, what would God have of us? God would have us be faithful in the small things. Prove yourself faithful in the small things, and then maybe you might get more responsibility from the Lord. Prove yourself faithful in those things, then God might give you more responsibility. Prove yourself faithful in that, and you get continuing responsibility and influence in the world. And just maybe one or two of us might change the world, but I doubt it. Very few people are called to do that. You cannot change the world, but if you be faithful in the here and now, in the context that God has put you in, you won't change the world, but you might change someone's world. Every single person in this room can change someone's world. Not gonna change the world, but you can change a world. There's an old Jewish saying that says, to save a life is to save a universe. You get that? That's how much one person made in the image of God means. And so each week, challenges. Just be faithful in this small area. Take a step out, and we've, we've had you fill out cards and turn them in from just things like attending church regularly to giving regularly to serving in our community to serving overseas to some people made commitments to I'm going to be a better dad, a better mom, a better whatever it may be. Tons of different types of commitments, but the goal again is just do right with the area that you can do right. And we used a joke from a psychologist named Dr. Jordan Peterson who he always says, hey, look, before you go change the world, start by cleaning your room. So get your act in order in the smallest area before you think you're a superstar. And then who knows what may happen. So this is what we're gonna do today. We're gonna share the stories and celebrate the stories of people who stepped up to the plate to serve faithfully in small areas. And for some of them, they're still in those areas serving faithfully. For some of them, God has taken the small area of influence and then given them more responsibility and more responsibility. And they're doing all kinds of things. But we wanna celebrate these stories because again, we don't need a Hollywood version of discipleship where everyone's going around changing the world. We need a real life vision for it where this day-to-day -day small things matter. What the world needs is not a dozen new world changers. What the world needs is everyone who claims to be a Christian to be faithful in the small context that God has put them in. And mark my words, if Christians were faithful in the small context they were put in, the world just might change. And then no individual Christian gets credit for it. One person does. Jesus, the one behind it all. So we, I wanted to start off with, with a wild card. So a wild card here. A couple people laughed. So we have someone serving, I'll call him uh, the unlikely servant of the Lord, Lord serving in children's ministry. Uh, Janine and Rich are going to make their way up. And so if you don't know Rich, he's a man's man, tough guy, construction. He's a type of dude that like, you know, I wouldn't pick a, fi I wouldn't pick a bar fight with you because the last thing to go is a man's punch. And you, you just... Look, he's smiling. He's like, I could, I could throw I, one punch. I send oh, you yeah, flying down. down there. How about <laughs> 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 oh, okay, here we go. Okay, so, <laughs> are you on? Are you on? 
he's on. There we go. We had to get him hit, hooked up with a headset because first service, it was just kind of like too wild. I'll try to rein it in. A yeah, bit. he's doing good. So Rich and I have been good friends since we met seven years ago when I first started working here at the church. I wanted to bring in um, a stage set for Kids Town. And so Greg was kind of helping me out, and he approached Rich. And so my first time meeting him, I thought, man, who's this crazy man? He was driving this big semi-truck, talking really loud, throwing things, and strapping this thing onto this truck. And we worked together to put that set together. And in the midst of, of getting to know him, he said to me, yeah, I'm doing Faith Bible Institute, which was a Bible college program. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, you're the perfect person to work in kids' ministry. And he just kind of, he looked completely stunned. Like, he didn't know what to say to that comment. That was a shock. It was the last thing he expected me to say. Um, but I think it worked on his heart. And eventually he said, okay, I, okay I'll do it. So I wanted to ask him some questions and kind of let you get to know him. So, Rich, really, did you see yourself as a kid person? Because some people are like, I'm not really a kid person. Did you see yourself as a kid person prior to serving in kids' ministry? No, I, I did not see it coming at all, actually. I was um, part of the men's ministry for a long time at this church in the beginning. You know, we come in here in the beginning around 2000. I start out as an usher, and God kind of just kept impressing on me, keep getting, keep stretching, keep going for it, and uh, the next thing I know, I was in a small group in the men's ministry, and then, you know, short-term mission trips, and it just keeps transitioning. If you listen to your heart, and you listen to the Spirit, you don't quench it or grieve it, you'd be amazed about how God will, will shoot you and propel you into the next dimension of your spiritual journey. So I was actually just filling in between the first service and the second service to get sign-ups out at the, the men's ministry table outside and uh, the Jacksons at the time were helping out and they're like Rich you want to kill some time in between the service you can come chill with us and they had like 20 something kids and I'm like yeah so I was kind of just had no idea where God was taking me I was just kind of helping I was kind of like a kids uh, ministry police you know what I mean because you get these wild kids they come in sometimes with a little too much cereal or whatever and yeah you guys, you guys like him relate. yeah so I was mainly just kind of assisting with that um, uh, okay so um he does he does have a, a presence in there some of them are a little scared of him and then they just love him after that <laughs> he sings real loud too okay so how would you say, would you say that this has, whole process has given you more compassion for kids? Like, do you see you know, kids ab differently? Ab absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt. We have these little um, God time prayer cards that we give to these little fourth and fifth graders. And, and uh, when you read some of the things our kids are going through already at that young age, I mean, it'll pull on your heartstrings and bring tears to your eyes. Our kids are in a society, in a world that is way crazier. I'm, I'm 58 this year. And, I, you know, I'm just happy I had an old metal Tonka truck and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's changed. It's changed. And you guys, you, you know where I'm coming from on that. So, um, yeah, to read those little prayers and then give it to the staff and to the pastors and say, hey, man, we got some, some kids that are dealing with some big stuff, adult-like stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so definitely in a lot of other ways as well. I'm looking around in here, and I see some kids who have been in your classes. So if you've been in class with Mr. Rich, will you stand up? I just want to, like, if you've had him as a teacher, would you stand up in here? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> There's some over there, Woo! too. <laughs> he leaves quite an impression on you, doesn't he? <laughs> Okay, I just kind of wanted to ask you, Doug, do you feel like this uh, experience has changed your walk with God? How do you feel like it's changed you your know, experience with absolutely God? Absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt. You know, I'm, I'm learning how to approach God as a child, as well as they're teaching me just as much as I'm teaching them. It, it, it goes without saying, you know, when we read scriptures in the Gospels, you know, there's a few places that we come across it, and it's like they were bringing the children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. And the disciples are like, you know, rebuking him. And he's like, hey, 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 you guys got to get this concept right now, you know. And he, he basically said, you know, Jesus saw it and he was greatly displeased and said, let the little children come to us. 
to me. Don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, and he goes on to say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. And so it's helping me, you know, keep that humble spirit and that humble heart of a child knowing that, you know, ego is not our amigo. Amen? <laughs> and, and pride got us in a lot of trouble. Amen? And God wants us to just keep coming through and being submissive and obedient. You know, um, and, and for, you know, some people think, ah, my time's passed, da-da-da-da, I'm too old, and I can't get involved in, in, in ministry or service. It's like one of my favorite uh, pastors besides Isaac and, and Eric is, uh, is Charles Stanley, and he says, nowhere's in there does it say in the Bible that we're supposed to retire as we get older. We keep going, growing, and giving our time, talent, and treasure, moving forward. So one day we'll face him face to face, hopefully all of us in here, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servants. We never retire. Remember that. <laughs> keep going. So here's my last question for you. As someone on the front line of kids' ministry for seven years, what would you like to tell your church family? We're not going to get all these other cool questions. I know. We, we're, we got to go. <laughs> I'm just starting to feel comfortable, boy. I come in here, I was a little nervous. That first service just tore me up, you know. I had to get to the bathroom and both stalls were full. And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. You guys know as you get older, things aren't working like they used to. You know, I, I would like to say pray on it first and foremost. And when you feel God's Spirit pressing in on you to get involved, Please do not hesitate to stop by and talk to our SVCZ Kids Town staff. You know, and I just like to say I, I want to thank you all for your time and your consideration, and as well as praying for our kids and our church of the future. That's huge. Yeah. The power of prayer. Thank you so much, Rich. Thank you all. Oh, that's good stuff. He's a pretty meek guy. <clears throat> I'm telling you, man, he can pump out a sermon. <laughs> Appreciate you, Rich. You're, you're a, a good man. Hey, you know, speaking of rock stars, I, I, th this next guy to me is a rock star. Um, I met him 15 plus years ago, and he is a uh, a testament that, that God can take our broken lives and he, and he can create something uh, wonderful out of it. And I always tell people, because of my own brokenness, is that, you know, in our darkest places, God, God wastes nothing for those who trust in the Lord. And I believe that, that to be true about this, uh, this uh, friend of mine. And what's kind of comical is this guy, I asked him if he would come and he would share about how uh, the church and how uh, God putting him into service over the years, it impacted him. And he, he was telling me, well, I think I could, but I'm doing all these things this morning. And so I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll create a window. And the, 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 the man that I'm speaking of is, is Alan Kirk. And uh, in fact, uh, this morning, just before the first service started, I heard this, this Harley show up in the front there and <clears throat> some guy's... In a, in a leather jacket's wearing it. I'm thinking, okay, where's our security at? <clears throat> and, and it was Alan. Come on up, Alan. And uh, so Alan... Alan uh, has been a, a true servant uh, starting our, our Celebrate Recovery ministry many, many years ago and continues to serve and to lead that work. He does everything from... from true leadership positions to helping with recycling out in back. The guy is an inspiration to me, and I, I wanted him to come and share his heart this morning. So, Alan, please. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. All right. Yeah. It's great to be here with you folks. It's really an honor to stand up in front of you today. You know, I was thinking about what Greg asked. He said, why do you serve? You know, why do you um, stay in ministry and why do you work at it? And I, and I really had to think on that one. And I thought, you know, it's really 
gratitude in my heart. You know, I'm grateful for my, my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for my beautiful wife, Beverly. I, you know, I'm thankful for the church body and for some people who really made a difference when I first came here. In fact, although service is automatic for me today, it wasn't always so. You know, when Bevy and I first came to the church 15 years ago, I was personally deep in addictive behavior. And uh, I was full of shame and all that's associated with uh, being stuck in a rut. And when I came here, I was amazed by the welcome. And there are people here today, and they may remember some of the encounters I had early on here. They were absolutely beautiful. They were full of forgiveness. And I know that I had much to be forgiven for. And so they, they just accepted that. And they said, okay, let's get to work. And so 15 years ago, I was deeply thinking I was not going to survive this uh, dilemma that I was in with the addictive behavior. But started the, into Celebrate Recovery. It was, we were just starting it at that time. And um, con what, what I did is I took the, the small group and, uh, and, you know, I made a promise to God. That was truth. At that time, I said, you know, Lord... Whatever happens with my recovery, let me help other people recover as I go through this journey. And so here I am 15 years later, and what have I learned? Wow, you know, God didn't just snap me through and make me recover. He didn't just stop my, my tendencies instantly. But all the miracles I witnessed were in other people. That, that I was working with. I saw those miracles in their changed behavior, their changed circumstances, restored relationships, joy again in their life. I saw that in that, in that manner. And so, you know, today I'm still, I can't believe it. I said, oh, I'm going to do the Celebrate Recovery for a few years and move on. But here I am 15 years later, really loving it because I see the power of God in human hearts. I see what's happening to the people I work with in Celebrate Recovery. So, Recovery is really for all of us. It's amazing how going through a discipleship program can change your life. It's a serious discipleship. Sure, you have to get rid of the tendencies in your life, but then you turn that into serving the Lord through whatever capacity. So I just want to welcome those that are struggling right now in the, in the congregation and say, you know, I just don't want to expose that. There is no shame. You come to people who have lived it and know it, and they just want to welcome you in. Celebrate Recovery is alive and well today. We, we meet every Monday night at 7 o'clock right here in this sanctuary. And I've seen miracles in the last few months in individuals who are learning what it means to serve the Lord. So I just want to conclude by saying I've learned the power of small groups. I now understand what accountability is all about. And we should all be involved in it. Small groups are powerful for learning the word. And accountability keeps you doing the right things all the time. So thank you, congregation. Thank you, pastors. Thank you for the time to be up here. Please join me in Celebrate Recovery if you need to work on something. That would be great. All right. Thank you. All right. Yeah, Alan has a heart. I mean, if there's a Harley with a healer on it is what's happening. And, and I'm, when I'm, don't get me wrong. This isn't just like a faith healing thing. Alan walks with people in the messiest times, and it's painful and it's sacrificial. So we have, you know, for everyone we bring up here, there are probably 10 or 20 other people we could have brought up here, so do know that. There are tons of people that do serve. Um, but for me, uh, I was thinking about well, who do I bring up here uh, as the, you know, discipleship pastor? And one of my leaders, her family is a blessing to the church. Um, I actually met them, I don't th even think I was coming to this church at that point, point. Uh, and I was coaching a, a young kid in soccer. In fact, uh, he was really tiny back then, but now he's all big and he's, his hair's about five or six inches tall. Um, and I, I met the buyers, um, and they're a great, great group of people, and Cheryl has, Cheryl Byer, has been leading a small group for a while now, and I wanted her to take an opportunity and introduce you guys to what it looks like to, to see that first drop in a waterfall, right? What, what, what happens? How do, what does this look like? Cheryl.
Okay, so Kevin made me type mine up so I wouldn't go over. <laughs> so as he said, my name is Cheryl Beyer, and I actually have a confession to make. And that is, my life is a mess. And in fact, when Pastor Isaac implored us to start cleaning our rooms, my husband, Ed Beyer, who was at the first service, inwardly rejoiced. You see, we homeschool our four children, and as an engineer, he struggles with how our books and homework and science projects seem to take over the house. So when Kevin asked me to share how God has called me to serve, in spite of the whirlwind adventures that raising four kids can bring, I said, sure. But mentally I thought, there's nothing really special about me or how we started to serve. Um, my husband and I initially got involved because of a need close to home. Our younger son, Joseph, pulled us aside six years ago and asked us if we would teach his third grade Sunday school class because they had been without a consistent teacher for several months. This was a great baby step for us and it was somewhat in our comfort zone. We loved getting to know the third graders and it was heartwarming to watch them boldly and without an inhibition embrace God. Then the next thing we knew, Joseph again, asked us if we would help at Awana because they needed leaders. Now Awana is a great program. Awana leaders share the good news of Jesus Christ with kids in a way that makes sense to them. After our kids aged out of Awana, Ed and I thought that we would take a break, but Carol Smith cornered me on my way out <laughs> of the service, and she actually told me, I think you and Ed would make great small group leaders. And I'm embarrassed to say that I actually scoffed and I laughed in her face. And I said, how could we lead a small group when we're not actually involved in one? And she replied, it sounds like you need to take a small step of obedience and join a small group. <laughs> like most Americans, obey is not one of my favorite words. But Ed and I did join a small group, and surprised, the Sloniker small group accepted us with our messiness and all. But in loving us, they challenge us to look at ourselves and allow God to grow us in the ways that he saw fit. So when our group grew to 24 people, it was evident that we needed to split or branch off. This time, however, when Kevin asked Ed and Laura Weisbrick, another small group member, and I um, to lead the new small group, I have to admit that I had very serious doubts. Actually, it was more like I had a lot of fear. You see, I felt intimidated because a lot of the people who decided to join our small group were former small group leaders who were serving in other areas. I can say, however, that helping lead this small group has transformed me. It has helped me rediscover my love for Jesus Christ as I consistently read the Bible and really grapple with what he reveals to me through his word. I also get to see the way God transforms people in my group. I have witnessed him move powerfully as he blesses and heals us, and as we minister to others in our homes, at work, and even to the sick and dying. Recently, I have had the privilege to join a temporary small group, and there is this leader there who has an amazing depth of wisdom, knowledge, and love of God, and he facilitates this discussion. And it's with someone who is earnestly seeking to know God. As you can imagine, we tackle some really tough questions. And sometimes it gets messy. And each week, I have leave not necessarily knowing all of the answers, but at the same time, I walk away knowing the only answer that matters. 
that Jesus Christ, who came as a servant, loves all of us so much that he came to seek us and save us so that we can have a right relationship with God. I am thankful that God calls all of us to serve. And I actually shudder to think about all that I would have missed if I had stayed in my comfort zone. Dr. Martin Luther King was of the opinion that anybody could serve. He goes on to say, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. And you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. As a Christian, you have God's grace and you are filled with Christ's love. You definitely have everything that you need to serve. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. We, we love the buyers. Awesome, awesome family. Um, this next couple uh, just reminded me um, the, the blessing that it is to be a pastor is to be able to come alongside couples and families and people who come in through South Valley broken with the past, stuff going on, willing to be completely honest and open. Um, I love that about people. And this particular couple uh, came in that way, um, broken, and um, recommitted their, their, uh, their faith and their life with Christ, uh, were baptized. And sometimes I'll see people stick around. Sometimes people will kind of venture off into the shadows. Um, Joe and Suzette didn't. They immediately jumped in, and I want to invite them up uh, Joe and Suzette Carrillo <clears throat> jumped in, not, not to necessarily lead stuff. They jumped in to, to grow, they, to mature their faith. And as that was happening, uh, more things started happening in their lives. And, and over the period of a, a couple of years, come on up, you guys. Uh, this couple have, been, have become such a, uh, a crucial part of, of the ministry of South Valley and they have a big heart. The, the last newcomer lunch we had a week ago, uh, I found out, you know, Joe and Suzette also cater and, and cook. And so they, man, they provided a, a spread and blessed uh, about 60 uh, new people at that luncheon last weekend. And so I had asked them, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I had asked both of them if they would just come and share their heart as to, you know, what was that like connecting um, at a church that, that welcomed them in and walking that journey and where they're at now and how actually using their gifts and their talents uh, has, has changed them too. So thank you, Joe. Thanks, Greg. Um, yeah, like Greg said, uh, we started coming here maybe two years ago. Um, he said we got baptized here. He didn't say how fast it was. Within two weeks, we were baptized. Within the next two months, we are becoming full-blown members. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, the church and, you know, that, that we were seeking. We were seeking more, you know, an answer. And when we came here, our first day we came here, well, she was already going here um, a few times with uh, Jill Dweller and Bruce Whitaker. But uh, she got me to come in here, and I was at a point in my life where I was at a, a dead-end stop, and I didn't know which way to go. And uh, so she brought me here one day, and, and uh, it was Sam and Greg up here talking, and Sam, it was Sam's uh, message that spoke directly to my heart, because the day before that, I, like I said, I hit a, a dead spot, and you know, I fell and prayed and you know, asked Jesus to give me an answer. And the next day when I came in, uh, they had that answer for me. And uh, so I set up a meeting. I said, oh, we've got to talk to these guys. And uh, we got a hold of Sam and uh, Greg. Uh, we talked to them. and. The welcoming that they gave us, you know, from the whole staff is just tremendous. It was, it was truly what we were looking for. It was a family. There was no, you know, oh, it, one thing Greg said that separate, because I grew up in a Catholic church, and she grew up actually Jehovah Witness. Uh, so, yeah. So one thing that was different here was the first thing Greg said was, if you feel any type of way like this isn't the place for you, 
or it's not working here for you, don't run away. Let us know and we'll find somewhere to put you. They didn't say we're going to change so you can stay here. We want to keep you here. No, they said we're going to find somewhere to put you, you know. Um, you know, if you feel, let us know how you feel so we can find somewhere. And, uh, you know, one line I really like of Greg's he just told the other day was, don't feel out of place here. You know, a lot of people come here, they feel out of place, they leave. Everyone here is broken. You know, the, the church isn't a safe place. It's a, a place full of broken people. So don't think you're, you're different than anyone else here. You know, this, and it, the welcoming was just tremendous. And, you know, as, as we kept coming, we started uh, getting in small groups and uh, volunteering. We just became ushers <laughs> a few weeks ago. And, and it... And it, it seems like, you know, um, you're doing this for, for the church, for yourself, but it's, it's not. It's, it's really, you know, for everybody because it's not only for yourself but for everybody because the more stuff we get involved in volunteering, we meet more people. We branch out to more families, you know. Anything from taking somebody a meal that can't provide a meal for their family and she connects with old friends. She finds new friends. Um, you know, we do compassion. This is our third compassion. And every time we do it, it's, I mean, we go out to a new place, we do something new, and we meet people, and we revisit those places. You know, they say, oh, do you want to, this is not, for us, this is, you know, for everybody here, this shouldn't be just a Sunday thing. This should be, you know, a Monday through Sunday thing. This should be an everyday thing, because there's so much branching out here, and all you have to do is volunteer. And like I said, it's not for you. It's not for them. It's just for a group thing because it's like the tree. It just branches out. And we, we revisit a lot of the places we volunteer at, and we connect with people there. And, and everyone's problem is different, but everyone is willing to listen. Everyone's there for you. So no matter what you're going through, there's somebody here for you. You know, like Rich was saying, you know, for the kids, there's you got Janine, you got people like Rich, you know, and then... If you, if you want to talk to somebody, you know, um, you know, you got Stan for the teenagers, and then you can go to the young adults. You always, you know, you got Sam, and then you know, you got the elder people. Probably want to talk to Greg. <laughs> but but there, there's, there's, there's literally somebody here for everybody. If if you have someone, if you you can't feel there's nobody to talk to, there's always somebody here to talk to. And they're probably going to get mad about this, but I text these guys all the time. <laughs> like, don't be scared. Don't be scared to reach out and text these guys. Don't be scared to give them a call. They, they will listen. They will respond. They will talk to you. There's some stuff you can't talk to your family about. There's some stuff you can't talk to your doctor about. There's some stuff you can't talk to your psychologist about. But guess what? These guys here, they'll listen to you, and you will not be judged. And it's just, it's just so welcoming. And the more you do with volunteering and giving back, the deeper you get in and the more branches, the more people want to listen to you. I could have conversations, you know, with kids that go here. I could go out there and talk to the kids and learn from them. And then I could also have a conversation with somebody that's been going here for 20 plus years. And it's just, you know, you just connect so much with everyone here. It's, it's amazing. And the, the more serving we do, it just feels like we're just more connecting. And it's an endless journey, just like the walk with Christ. It's like feels like it's never going to end. Like Greg said, people come and go. Well, guess what? We touch bases with those people, too. And then we see them out at a festival. We see them at a fair. And, hey, are you still going? Oh, yeah, I'm still going. You should come back. Da, da, da. And it's just a connection. It's just all over. I was at a, a fair out of town in Watsonville, and Rich gave me this bracelet last year. And a lady recognized it and goes, oh, you go to South Valley? I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> She's like, oh, your bracelet. And a whole different county. And, you know, it's just branch out. Don't be scared to call these guys. Don't be scared to get involved. Um, it's really helpful. It's, it's, a, it's amazing being part of this family. It's not, you know, a one-day-a-week thing. Make it a seven-day-a-week thing. Connect with these guys because that's what they're here for. Uh, this is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, no. the only thing I, I do want to say is, um, like he said, like when we came here almost two years ago, we were like at the verge of like our family being separated. But through like the support of friends and family that we made here through everyone's prayers, we're standing right here today. So we're like a show of like what can happen throughout everyone's support here in this room and the plus more people that are here. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Thank you.
One of the uh, best things, my favorite things to do is like you go, did you think two and a half years ago when you were coming by yourself here on the brink that you'd be sharing from the stage about God's faithfulness? That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. All right, last, last thing is gonna be a video, a quick video, because in order to actually capture the story, you, you, have to, you have to put it like in video format. Um, we partnered with an organization called Foster the Bay. And Foster the Bay's mission is to basically make sure every child in the foster care system is taken out of the foster care system and put in a family uh, where they can have a home, a mom and a dad, so they're not in some facility waiting to, to have a home. And here's the truth of it. They were started because they realized that if every single church in the Bay Area produced one foster family, every single child waiting on a foster family would be taken in. You get that? If every single church just produced one foster family, it would eradicate the need of the foster care system. We have more churches than we do kids in the fo- needing foster parents. And so we have many people involved with this. And m- different types of ways. You can get involved by fostering or you can be a support family where you're like, I can't do the foster parenting thing, but I'm gonna come around a family who's doing that and I'm gonna bring them meals, take their kids to the baseball game, etc. Now, uh, the next couple, the Adams, and I mean this, I'm not, again, if you, for those of you who know me well, I'm not a hype person. I don't hype things up or just use exaggerated language to, to make it appear greater than it really is. Um, these people are absolute heroes of the faith. The Adams. I don't even know if they're here right now. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. It's embarrassing at this point. Um, just going to tell their story of, of losing children, not being able to have kids, by God's grace, being blessed with being able to have kids, but then continue to go forward and say, we still think God is, God is nudging us to do even more. And this is an example where you, you prove yourself faithful in a very small thing, and God might give you more. And you may not change the world, but believe me, you can change a world. I'm Amy Adams. I'm Jeff Adams. And we've been married for 20 years in March. Whenever anyone asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always wanted to be a mom. So Jeff knew that when we got married, we were, our goal, like if you could think of what your dream was, we were going to wait a year, be married for a year before we started having kids. And it didn't go as planned. There were difficulties and uh, miscarriages. And I had had three miscarriages pretty consecutively. I remember years. those visits. Um, we're so excited. We're going to hear the heartbeat today. And then, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Adams. There's no heartbeat. We um, were met with infertility issues for several years and ended up pregnant with quadruplets, um, which did not make it to full term. And we were devastated by that. And we were open to adoption and um, we had a failed adoption shortly after giving birth to the quadruplets. So we had decided we're either going to continue with trying to conceive or we're going to pursue adoption. We had, again, through what really felt like, and it probably still was, another divine appointment, um, a family in the church that hosted the school that Amy taught at, um, their granddaughter, young girl, very young, had gotten pregnant, was just about to deliver and decided that she was going to adopt that baby out. We met her once. She went into early labor. We were there, cut the cord, took the baby home. He was ours for five weeks, and then I was out shopping for him with my mom at the mall, and um, got a call. I admit I couldn't hear my phone or whatever, get home, and there's all these missed messages from whatever his actual title was, he was like, Mom has changed her mind. He's not legally yours anymore. And I can't even tell you. <laughs> the hurt, you know. 
Like, how could that be? That many devastations in one year was life-changing for us and really shook us. Even with our having three healthy babies, I never felt like the door to adoption was closed in my heart. So over the years, um, recent years, it would, it would wash over Amy and be like, fostering, fostering. What's the next step? Where do we even start? What's the next step? And then um, one of those times um, we're, in, we're in, in church and they're having an informational meeting from Foster the Bay. Who's Foster the Bay? It's exactly what we needed. And we're going like, I'm going like this to him. Yeah, it came to us. We, we kept, you know, wondering what, what do we do? Um, and there it was dropped in our laps. The church family um, really kind of, you know, rallied around us. Um, people we didn't know who also um, wanted to help uh, in our journey of fostering or somebody's journey in fostering. Um, people we didn't know making us dinners and offering anything they can do. Our Foster the Bay support friends really um, surround us in prayer, not only in prayer, but they're there for us. Physically bringing us food, uh, scheduling meals, um, and if I can't be in two places at one time, a doctor's appointment with one child and school pickup with another child, they're there and I I need them. <laughs> this may be one of the hardest things we've done, but um, without Foster the Bay and support from our church, family, and friends, we're not alone. When, when Foster the Bay uh, had their meeting with us, this is for effect. <laughs> See, it's for effect. You, went, you know I'm lying when Drew Dollar gets up and starts running to the back. Um, when Foster the Bay had our, their meeting with us, and I, and I say this to, show, to illustrate the point, um, they showed us the statistics of what happens to kids statistically who grow up in the, in the foster care system going from house to house. And the amount of those kids who are physically and sexually abused, the amount that drop out of high school, the amount that end up with criminal behavior, joining gangs, depression, suicide, I mean, it's not even close. You're a miracle if you survive going from place to place. And we have people who have done that here, who have, by God's grace are here. Um, and when I heard the statistics about, about how many of those children end up suffering, suffering abuse, I told the head of Foster the Bay, if we don't get behind this, stop calling us a church because we're not a church at that point. For 2,000 years, the church has been the people who look after the children who are the most vulnerable and do whatever we can to protect them. You cause a little one to stumble, better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you're thrown into a lake. So this is how important that is. Remember, you can't save the world. Only Jesus can, but you can save a world. And the Adams are a testament to that. They had three biological children. That's how many I have. And if you were to tell me, how about three more? I say, hey, by God's grace, let's just Maybe not start with three, but what's the small area for you today? <laughs> not everyone's called to that, but we're all called to something. And so that's been the challenge of this series. As we close, I'm drawing your attention to, to two cards that were in the handouts. And this is two, thi two different things where we want you to take a small step. The big giant card, SVCC Teams, that's what I've been challenging you on for three weeks. If you haven't been here or you haven't committed to something, this is the time. Say, I'm gonna commit to, to one thing. Do be faithful in one small area. On your way out, someone will be there to collect that. There's a table. You can get a bracelet that matches the color at which you're signing up for as a reminder of what you made, uh, what commitment you made before God. And then the other one, the big one, next week is Compassion Sunday. So we're not here in this building. We'll meet here, uh, sing 
two songs and then we'll, we'll jump off to various ministry projects all throughout the community. So I want to give you time right now, just 60 seconds and I'm going to pray, and pray to, to, re, to review this, SVCC teams and, and pretty much most importantly this Compassion Sunday to sign up for a project. The reason why it's so important that you sign up and not wait to the last minute because we have to plan. We've got to have enough shovels there. We have to have enough barbecue food there. If not, you just, you get, you know, you get left over. We'll just have like tortilla chips, stale tortilla chips left for you. So just 60 seconds, review those things, make a commitment. If you already have, that's, that's okay. I won't give you long, but I just want take this time, every single person review the Compassion Sunday card and the SVC team card, and then we'll pray. I appreciate that old joke on Greg. We're going to make that a running theme here. We'll, we'll be like, we, we do have ways in which if, if you're older and your body's, your, your body's not strong enough to maybe go shovel dirt, Greg will be leading a project. <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be the running joke for the rest of, you know how like Urkel back in the day was got any cheese? Sorry, Greg, this is your future at South Valley Community Church. Commit to something, get involved, it makes a difference. Let me pray and we're out of here. Father God, uh, I thank you for this church family, this church body. May we go being uh, filled with encouragement. And Lord, for those people who are on the edge and the fringes, Lord, help them to jump into something and be open, honest, vulnerable. And we wanna, we wanna look more like Jesus. We wanna be like your son. We wanna live like him. We wanna walk like him, talk like him. And uh, we can only do that by your grace. And so bless every single person in this room. We love you, Lord. Increase our joy, increase our love found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.